folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind, when you want to hit the reset button. Reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics and by Symbol, your stock market for sports. Before we get into my conversation with Nick Underhill, who covers the New Orleans Saints, we talk about their quarterback situation and their cap situation as well. Want to get into some breaking NFL news. Dak Prescott has signed a monster contract with the Dallas Cowboys. And I mean monster, ridiculous, outrageous, preposterous contract that is going to be worth up to $164 million and $75 million is coming in year one for Dak Prescott, which is going to be the most in NFL history, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. And let me give you the Vikings spin on this. It now becomes possible that Kirk Cousins could aim to play out the rest of his deal in 2021 and 2022 and try to hit the free agent market. And let me explain why. Because this points to big money coming into the NFL. We've been thinking about the possibility of a new TV deal and what that might mean to the salary cap. Fans coming back, a 17-game season, but all of those things were sort of up in the air. Now, with this contract, I don't see any way that all of those things are not going to come to fruition and restore the salary cap and then some uh, and leave room for the possibility that Kirk Cousins' $45 million cap hit in 2022 could actually work for the Vikings. Now, I still think that there's a crossroads that comes with that contract that was written in for them to either extend him or trade him. But now if the salary cap goes way, way, way up by 2022, which seems to be what Dallas must be projecting with this deal, then Kirk Cousins might aim for free agency again or try to put himself in a similar situation to Dak where the Vikings have to give him a historic deal if he has a good 2021 and 2022 season, or he could try to hit the open market as he did with Washington. This changes how I view Kirk Cousins' contract situation a bit 
because the money is so out of this world for Dak Prescott that Jerry Jones, I'm sure, did not sign this deal without knowing exactly where things are going in the NFL. So that will be something to watch as we go forward is some of these other contracts for quarterbacks and where they end up being because now Dak Prescott has set the bar extremely, extremely high. Uh, another bit of news, Brandon Sheriff, Shreff, Scherf, that bit unfortunately is come to an end where we make fun of nobody knowing how to pronounce his name because he has been franchise tagged by football team. What that means is Joe Thune is the guard on the market for right now. Now there's reports that a number of different guards could be released as cap casualties in the coming days. Kevin Zeitler is probably the biggest name there. He's playing for the New York Giants. I believe he was part of the Olivier Vernon deal that sent him to New York. And so now some players that have these big contracts, teams are trying to move on from them. And it has been suggested, probably rightfully so, that teams are using the salary cap a little bit as an excuse to get rid of players that they thought were making too much money to begin with. And that might be the case and to the Vikings benefit, but the biggest fish on the market that's a guard, Brandon Sheriff, uh, is no longer, he has been franchise tagged. So um, we'll be doing updates here on the show every day. Courtney Cronin's going to be on Jeremiah Searles requested to stop by for a free agency preview podcast. I mean, we're going to have dominoes falling, I think every single day. So let's get to my conversation with Nick Underhill, and then I'll have a little bit of the Q and a from the Apple podcast comments after that. So here's Nick. We welcome into the show in the brotherhood of doing your own thing. In fact, uh, a trailblazer in that area, Nick Underhill, who also, I don't know how you got this, but I love this new Orleans dot football. How did you get dot football? Dot football is incredible. Yeah. I don't know. I was just looking for URLs and I typed in new Orleans and like it suggested dot football. And I was like, Oh, well that's, that's the one like a very literal name, but it works. And yeah, it's unique enough to be like decent marketing. So yeah, it worked out. I am jealous. I am extremely jealous of dot football and maybe we'll, maybe I'll have to change that purple insider dot football at some point. Um, the reason I, I wanted to have you on Nick, other than that, I admire your work and what you've done with new Orleans dot football, you've built it up um, to be a, a, you know, incredible resource for saints fans. And if people want to check it out, who are listening to this, who want to hate read about the saints, because I don't know, do you know this Nick, that Minnesota Vikings fans really hate the saints. It, I think that they hate the saints almost as much as the Packers, like Packers will be number one always, but there's like a different level of vitriol toward the saints, even though in recent years, the Vikings have owned the saints in the last two times they've played in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's surprising how much emotion and passion there is in this because the Saints have the Falcons, and I I think that's probably one of the best rivalries in, in all of sports. But the Vikings, the level of legitimate animosity, I guess is how I would put it. It feels like it, it, it's right there and right behind it, and it's comparable. And I can't speak more highly of the passion of, you know, it, I think it's awesome. Like when the fan bases are, are charged up, it makes doing the job more fun, and you kind of feel it, and there's a little bit more excitement those weeks. Minnesota is basically in the NFC South at this point, just with the way like these teams are, it, how often they play, how much emotions behind these games. And yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely right there. And, you know, you kind of have to know everything that's going on with the Vikings, just like you do with 
the Panthers and the Falcons and everybody else in the division. So yeah, it's turned into a really, really good rivalry. And, you know, Sean Payton's probably helped out a little bit with some of his uh, satellite antics. And I get it. If Minnesota fans don't love the saints, I, I can, it's very easy to see why. Well, I mean, it really goes back to the Brett Favre and the bounty gate and all that. Uh, I would say, look, the Saints didn't throw that interception to themselves. The Saints did not put 12 men in a huddle in that game. You put 12 men in a huddle. You did that to yourselves. The Vikings, you should have been going to the Super Bowl, but instead you couldn't figure out how to huddle up in a key situation or, you know, Brett Favre couldn't throw it away or check it down or run for a couple of yards. And by the way, I don't think the Saints, and this is not to apologize for the Saints for this because Bounty Gate was messed up. I don't think they were the only team that was trying to hurt Brett Favre in football games. So I don't know. I like, I get, and I get it. Um, and I enjoy it like you do, but I also think like, if that's what it's about, I'm not sure that's really the, the person that you should blame for having not reached the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, that's fair. But you know, the skull clap from Peyton and all stuff. Oh, recharges yes. it. And oh yes. yeah. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely some bad blood there, but I'm, I'm here for it, man. It definitely makes it way more fun. Oh, yeah. And, and you think about the recent games. I mean, you have Elvin Kamara scoring six touchdowns. You have Minneapolis Miracle. You have, do you think Kyle Rudolph pushed off? Uh, I think probably a little. A I little. mean, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a little something there. I, I don't know if it should have been called or not. That's kind of one of those where, where you, you let them play through it. But, you know, Saints fans, and I, I think it's it's understandable. They feel a little snake bitten and cheated, and they feel like the world's against them. And, I mean, there, there probably is a little bit of reason for that. You know, the year before they – you know, they, they get screwed against the the Rams. Uh, Marcus Williams, obviously, you know, he misses only a couple tackles that year. And there's like the worst play of, of all time in that moment against the Vikings. Um, you know, the bounty gate thing, it, it stems from that. I mean, there's a little bit of that, you know, in, in everything. And I'm sure people outside of this area, you know, they're tired of hearing people complain, but you can find legitimate reasons. And that, that you know, just coming off that Rams game and then it's like, well, here it is again. It, you know, it just wasn't. You know, it was, there was something there, but it's that's a play, I think, in a normal situation where you say, let them play through it. You are at the goal line also. I mean, Adam yes. Thielen makes the great over-the-shoulder catch to set up being down at the goal line anyway. So I'm not saying that they guaranteed score in that situation, but if you're the Saints, I mean, even if he does push off, you have to say, but you let them get to the goal line uh, right. in overtime in your house, the loudest stadium and U.S. Bank Stadium is very loud, but the loudest stadium atmosphere I have ever heard in my life covering football was that overtime in the Superdome. I mean, you could not hear anything. And you know this as a reporter, you're kind of out there. Like there are some, like even in US Bank Stadium where I sit, it's kind of blocked off a little bit from the noise. So I hear it, but it's not like directly in my face. That, I mean, that is insane. I mean, you are uh, hashtag blessed to have games, of course, not this last year with no fans, but with that type of atmosphere, um, I don't know where you rank your, your like best atmosphere games for covering the Saints. But for me, that was my favorite road trip ever because I'd never been to New Orleans before, but then being able to be in that atmosphere in the Superdome is ridiculous. Yeah, it's definitely way up there, man. Like some in those playoff games, it gets so loud that like the water inside your bottle, like it is legitimately moving. And yeah, look in that game too. I think the saints played flat the whole game. Like I, you know, yep. there was a lot of things that, that went wrong for them, you know, and, and you get to a push off, you get to a push off. There's a lot of reasons they lost that game and they happened much earlier. And then, like you said, you let them drive. 
they they just got beat. Like there's there's no complaint, the Rudolph thing or not. Like they didn't deserve to win that game. Well, Taysom Hill was the best player on the uh, field at that time, and if that happens, then that's usually not great for you, <laughs> I think. So let's let's get into this then, because I I totally agree that I have to follow your work closely to see what you're saying about the Saints, because even if the Vikings are not set to play the Saints, like they probably will, you know, in the playoffs or something. Um, let's start with uh, with Drew Brees. I mean, what's the deal? Like there's, there's a Zapruder workout film of uh, Drew Brees. And I mean, I guess we all assumed that he was going to walk away, but then the choice to go with Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston, I, I feel almost like you've probably answered this on many radio hits, but like, what is going on here with the quarterback situation? We'll start with Drew. I, I still think he's going to retire. He, he already reduced the salary down to like a little bit more than a million dollars, which allows them to to lower his cap hit now. And then when he retires, they file it on June 2nd. And then you can split that out over two years. But if he had stayed on the roster, they would have to carry a 20 some million dollar hit all the way up to June 2nd. So then, you know, getting, I don't want to get too deep in the details here, but you got to clear that money. And then, you know, to be able to spend it before June 2nd, you have to be cap compliant by the start of the new league year. So they'd have to cut other players when it's just Drew's going to go off. So unless you think he's going to come back and play for a million bucks when he's a guy that's fought for his money, his whole career, you know, I just don't think that's going to be the case here. So I think he kind of just retired on paper. I've talked to some people close to him over the last week after the video came out of him doing the sled work and all that. It looked like a guy that was preparing to get ready for a football season, but People around him just said, like, look, he's been playing football for 30 years. It's hard to make that public declaration. He's doing a lot of soul searching. He set himself up for life after football, but it's just really hard to let go. So I think that's just kind of what's going on here. And and I still think 99% he's going to retire. But I will say last year, everybody around Brees thought he was going to retire. And then he ended up coming back out of nowhere. I I don't think it's going to happen. He's got new hair. He looks like a guy that's going to to sit in an NBC booth and, and call games. But, you know, I'll leave the door open just a little bit. You looked up the Brett Favre. If there's some Brett Favre stuff going on here, I wouldn't be completely shocked. But I'd be, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty surprised based off everything I've heard. Um, as far as Jameis and Taysom, you know, last year, I, I think part of it is, is A, like, if you watch the way Taysom played, I, I think that it's very easy to see why they thought he was going to be better than he was. Because when everything was perfect, in the games against Atlanta especially, he was able to sit in the pocket, throw the ball down the field, and he looked like a, a legitimate pocket passer. In the very first game he played, that was the biggest shock in the world because I think we all kind of thought that it was going to be like a Baltimore Ravens-type offense. And here he is, like, sitting in the pocket and throwing the ball down the field, and he looked much better than he did. Against Denver, things got messy. They fooled him with some coverages. He looked horrible. Against Philadelphia, he looked horrible. So I think, you know, in practice, when he's sitting back there hitting these passes, it's hard to replicate when things get messy and he has to go off script and all this stuff. And when things got messy, it got bad. But it, it makes sense why they liked him, why they thought he could do something. He did win a lot of games for them. You know, he went three and one. It, it wasn't it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't NFL starter caliber. So they had to find out what they had. I, I understand why they had to explore it. I understand why everybody doubted Taysom and I don't know if you're validated in that if if you were out here making all these like crazy declarations, but yeah, I don't think he's he's Steve Young, the QB of the future. All this crazy stuff that was coming out, I, I think that's been found out. Um, but I wouldn't take that as like, oh, they they thought Taysom was significantly better than Jameis. On the other end, though, if like Jameis was tearing it up in practice and was a million times better than Taysom in those situations, going with 
pace him over Jameis. Like that's how you cause a revolt. There wasn't a revolt within the team. Right. There were a few people that I heard from that that thought Jameis should be playing, but I don't think anybody was super upset. Um, you know, him winning those games, I think probably calmed those waters pretty quickly. But, you know, I do think that they liked a lot of the stuff that Jameis did. Jameis was there, you know, he got there late in the offseason. There was no offseason program. If he wasn't fully comfortable with everything, you know, that that's another element of this too. I, I think that maybe Taysom just knew the offense a little better. It was an easier way to just drop him in. You know, Jameis got an opportunity the week before Taysom took over. And, you know, it wasn't like he shut the door on the possibility of somebody else coming in. It was a little bit shaky. So, you know, I think all these things, um, they do like Jameis a lot. I don't think that they're convinced that he has to be the guy. I just think that, like, if you're looking at the stack of babies that, you know, Wentz, Trubisky, uh, Sam Donald, like, you just go with the one that, that you know. You try to bring them back, and and you roll with it. And if you don't have to give anything up to get them, sure. But I wouldn't be shocked if in a year they're looking for a quarterback. But also – the theoretical version of Jameis is, you know, a, a number one pick, a guy with a lot of ability. I wouldn't be shocked if, if he becomes good. But, you know, as, as we sit here now, I don't think that they're 100% convinced, but I do think that they like the possibility. The uh, galaxy brain people who think that they played Taysom Hill to drive down Winston's value to re-sign him this year. <laughs> like, wow, talk about, you know, your uh, sports conspiracy theories. No, they usually play who they think is going to win when you're trying to right. win the Super Bowl. The other thing you pointed out is, look, man, we don't get to see practice every single day and know who knows the offense better. And if Jameis Winston wasn't getting people lined up right or wasn't getting the details or wh whatever it might be because he was a new quarterback or maybe just he, he wasn't getting it they're going to play someone else I mean we went through this in a preseason one time fighting over the two backup quarterbacks one of them couldn't get the guys lined up correctly it's like that guy's not going to be the one that wins the job all right <laughs> if you can't get them lined up correctly or you don't know every single detail to a T they're not going to trust you so that might be the case I or, you know, that they felt he wasn't ready or whatever. It wasn't made at random is the point. So I thought that was kind of funny. But the Jameis thing, though, the internet loves Jameis. They really love Jameis. I don't know why, because <laughs> he threw 30 interceptions the year before, but, and it's always baffled me. He doesn't have a winning record. He doesn't have like great stats in any season, but the internet just can't get enough Jameis. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think at very least you'd be able to see, okay, he gets a shot with someone like Sean Payton in a year where New Orleans doesn't necessarily have any expectations and maybe he signs cheap. So I, I guess for me, it makes a lot of sense to do it. It's funny that you say there's no expectations because I think people around here still expect them to be a 10 win team pretty, pretty easily. If they can keep this core together, you know, they, some players are going to go like the, their cap situation is bad. It's not as bad as people make it out to be like you, you go through, you start doing the math, like the, there's ways to keep things together, but I mean, they've won a lot of games the last two years with Teddy Bridgewater, who mm -hmm. Carolina seems to have determined isn't good enough to be an NFL starter. The whole world is determined Taysom isn't good enough to be an NFL starter. And the core of this team has been good enough that they keep winning games. I, You know, do they remain a, a Super Bowl contender or anything like that? You know, that that's where I think things probably start to change for them a little bit. But I think there's an expectation of still being a good team. But, you know, the quarterbacks we're talking about, I think you can win games with them. I don't think that you're winning games because of Taysom Hill or, or Teddy or whoever. Right. And you get into the playoffs at a certain point, your quarterback's going to have to win you a game. And that's where I think things fall apart for him. But look, Breeze hasn't been that guy either. And they just won 12 games with a, you know, I don't think he ever really looked good. There were moments and there were moments for hope. And 
it was like the whole year you just kept waiting like hey is he gonna get better is he gonna get better and, and like he just he just never did but um I, I still think you know if they keep this team together they're, they're gonna be competitive and I don't think it's a no expectations situation if it was a no expectation situation I think you see their roster come apart and you just start over but I, I think they're gonna try to do everything they can to keep it together and I, I really believe that the team itself like thinks they're still gonna be a good team that's interesting because I was feeling like, all right, Breeze is leaving. Your cap situation is not good. So how do you keep it all together and how do you remain competitive to be a playoff team? Um, so I guess explain to me the salary cap part because I see you on Twitter sometimes uh, swatting away people with, hey, look, they can't possibly get under the cap without wrecking the entire roster. And when you call up over the cap.com, Nick, it's ugly. It's ugly. It says almost 70 million over the cap. So lay it out for me. Well, you go on the over, over the cap and you just hit the calculator and you play around with it for five minutes. You'll start seeing all the ways that they build their contracts. There's like built in restructures, mm -hmm. you know, instead of signing bonuses, there's roster bonuses and, and things like that. And they do high base salaries. So then they just convert them into signing bonuses. And right. this isn't even doing the same stuff where they, you know, they'll take a three-year roster and just add two voidable years on the end. So then they can stretch out that $19 million base salary over five years. And then that $19 million goes down to four and you can get them $20 million under the cap, like not cutting a lot of key players, 20 million right away. Like they got to go 65 million, like 20 million right away on, if you just extend Ryan Ramchek and Marshawn Lattimore, you can clear off 15 of that, you know, 15 of the 20 million that's on the book. So now you're at 40, you cut Malcolm Brown. There's another six. Uh, you restructure Tron Armstead, Michael Thomas, you know, there's just a lot of stuff they can do. And they, like I said, they can get 15, 20 million under the cap and you're cutting Malcolm Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Quan Alexander, and maybe Thomas Morstead, you know, and it's, those aren't, franchise changing players like yeah you want to keep Malcolm Brown he's a great run stuffer but if you lose him you lose him and you find you know somebody else you put him in there and it's a little bit of a step back but it's not a significant step back if Jameis is your quarterback of the future and Taysom is convicted that he's a he's a quarterback and he wants to be a quarterback you can let him go and save some money like there's a lot of things they can do to create a little bit of cap space to even sign some players and it, it's not going to be like like I said, there's going to be some some things that hurt. You're going to take some shots and, you know, your your arms and maybe a couple in the leg. <laughs> but, like, people are acting like they're going to be in the middle of the street, like, bleeding out. And, like, I just don't – I don't think that's the case. And if – you don't even have to get into, like, the crazy saint stuff. Like I said, like, they do stuff that's extremely aggressive. And, you know, that there seems to be this, this attitude that, like, you know, oh, well, we said in 2014, like, their cap situation was going to get them. And here it is. Like, it took a pandemic for this to happen. Like, this isn't <laughs> – yeah. Yeah. Like their strategy has worked for a very long time. And if you want to, if you want to take three credit cards and do a charge off every single month and you have the nerve to live on the edge, you can do that forever. And, and yeah, you'll pay a little bit of interest at time, but like you can avoid paying that, that bill if you just want to do that forever. And that's your financial strategy. It's not sound. It's, it's dangerous. Something can happen to hurt you, which is happening right now. But look, I mean, I, I think the year for them, it isn't even this year. I think it's, Next year, if there's no fans, the salary cap stays down. I think 22 is a year because at a certain point, if the cap isn't going up and you aren't living on that 15% bump every year, at some point you can't push anymore. And I think next year is a year where that hits if the cap doesn't go up.
Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. And this is what happened to the Vikings really last year. I mean, age played a role in this too, that guys weren't performing really to their contracts. And that was part of it that maybe you're not going to deal with. But last year was the bill coming. So, you know, when you saw the Vikings this year, I'm sure as a reporter, you were like, who is playing defensive line? <laughs> like, who are these corners? Because you yeah. were used to seeing Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph and Everson Griffin. And all of a sudden, those guys just all had to go at once. And the Vikings did the same stuff, push it down the road, push it down the road. But eventually the bill came. But where you're in a, a decent position is the quarterback spot because the Vikings are paying a quarterback a ton of money where now it seems like if the Saints want to play their cards right with Jameis Winston and make him their quarterback, it's probably not going to be super costly. Yeah, look, and that, that's a good point too. I, I think part of the, the cap thing is like, you get into these situations when, when these contracts start getting bad. I don't think the Saints have bad contracts. I think what they're going to do now, trying to get under the cap, is create bad contracts in a few years, and now you're tied into these aging players. And that's that's when the bill's going to come due, and that's when it's going to start to hurt. But, like, right now, you, you don't mind being tied into, you know, if you have to do something crazy to keep Mike Thomas or, or Teron Armstead or Ryan Ramchak or whoever, like, those aren't bad deals now, but they will be in time when they get older and they're underperforming. Like Cam Jordan's like, you know, you, you do something else with this contract and now you're tied into him longer. Andrews Pete's another guy that, you know, they like signed. And I think there's an out after this year probably, but if you do something with this contract, you're, you're eliminating that out. And now you're tied into them. So you do turn good money into bad now where I think that that's what they've been able to do with these like charge offs and all that stuff is they've been able to avoid getting in the bad situations. And now they're going to, so yeah, at some point the bill can become due and this year might accelerate some of that. I think though, if this year hadn't happened, like there's there's an avoidance of that and they can keep going and there's a little bit of debt of money, but I don't think it's ever, they could have kept going and now the pandemic caught them. But again, a pandemic is the reason that right. their cap strategy has, has kind of backfired a little bit. And I will say that I have been hard on them about Kirk Cousins and the way that they structured the contract to be a low cap hit in a year where they were transitioning with the roster. Like that's not how you wanted to structure that, but they believed they were going to win last year. If you had known that you were going to go seven, nine, you would have tried to flip that around right. to make, you know, it structured differently to have cheaper years in year two and three and not in first year. Anyway. Um, so are you watching Mac Jones film or Trey Lance film or Justin Fields in the case that Justin Fields shockingly drops? There's always one. Um, what, what are you thinking about that? Are you, are you feeling like you need to watch quarterbacks this year for your draft coverage? Yeah, I, I think I will. Um, 
I'm not quite there yet. Right now, I'm kind of watching Jameis film, Jacoby Brissett film, Teddy Bridgewater film. So those are uh, the guys that I've kind of been watching right now. I feel like I need to know them first. Real, real quick interjection. How bad are the Panthers? When you watch the the film, like early on, I Joe Brady was doing a good job, and I get that. But like their offensive line is a joke, and their defense is a disaster. And I think that everybody kind of figured out what was going on there. Teddy got hurt. It was like, this roster has almost no good players on it. I mean, outside of like with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, but McCaffrey was hurt. I just, when I was watching them play the Vikings, I was going like, this is, this is a bad team with maybe not a good coach. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm, you know, I, I'm not sold on Joe Brady either. And he kind of runs the saints offense, but like there's some stuff, you know, I just don't know if they have the, the same feel for it in, his rise has been crazy. I couldn't believe that he was getting head coach looks like maybe that'll come in time. It feels like he needs to figure out what he doesn't know before somebody asks him Good to point. know everything. Good yeah. Point. So it's a, it's a weird team. I'm, I'm interested to see how they, they go forward. You know, I don't know if getting like Deshaun Watson is going to be the cure all like that. They seem to think it would be if they were able to acquire him. I, I think there's a lot going on there with that roster. Um, I was surprised how, how well they were, you know, able to get production out of running back without McCaffrey. That was a little bit surprising last year, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they're uh, coming together quite as hoped in year one of that program. I, um, I feel like I have very few great skills in this world, but picking out coaches who don't know what they're doing is one of them. Like x-ray vision for like, nope, this guy doesn't know what's going on. And you didn't really win at Baylor. And then they give you a gazillion dollars. And then you hire a college guy to be your offensive coordinator. It's like, I don't know, something doesn't quite smell right. And then when I watched them play the Vikings, I thought, oh, this team isn't coached very well and doesn't have anyone good yeah. on their roster. But like, Teddy, maybe pick a different team, bro. I, I don't know. That's it's just like not a great choice for him. But anyway, just that was just an aside. I just wondered if you're drafting a quarterback. If you th- <laughs> I just had to jump in with like, hey, how bad is Carolina? Am I right? Yeah, as far as the quarterback thing, I, I think, you know, the thing I, the, the line I always go to is like, when you have breeze, like you can afford to have lazy eyes. Like you don't have to have peripheral vision. You're just looking straight ahead. And when you don't have that sure thing, at quarterback, like your eyes have to wander constantly. And I don't think whoever they sign, if it's Jameis, I don't think you're, you're sold on them right away. Look like it's like uh, when they signed Adrian Peterson and then they had the chance to get Alvin, like you, you go and get Alvin and then you compete. Mm-hmm. And now Peterson doesn't fit. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they draft a quarterback and they sign a quarterback. And if that, one year guy, you know, the, the veteran they sign right now gets supplanted this season or a season from now. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, but they need to be in that business of, of looking for a quarterback every single year, draft one every single year. Now, like that would be, you know, the thing I started writing that in 2015 and people were mad at me like, ah, oh, you got to get players out now. Well, not like, this is why you, you got to be looking all the time constantly. And if you have the opportunity, you get one and, and they needed to be, you know, and they tried. They tried to draft Mahomes. Uh, I know Sean likes to say that, you know, that was the best quarterback workout he's ever seen in his life. Well, then, like, you should have traded up for him and, and got <laughs> right, him. But so, right, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they've, they've tried. They drafted Garrett Grayson. It didn't work. Um, you know, they tried to develop Taysom. They tried to develop Teddy. It was maybe didn't go as planned or it was just a year too late. Um, but, yeah, they, they need to – if someone falls, they got to be ready to make a move for sure. And it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting – Time for the Saint. I mean, Drew Brees isn't going to be the quarterback, which is just kind of crazy after all this time. 
Right. Very bizarre. We go through that here too, with like, would you draft Trey Lance if he's available at 14? And some people say, no, you need a guard or something, which is true. It's not, uh, you know, this, you watch, you watch their guards try to protect Kirk cousins, but like, is that really the most important thing for the long term? You got to be thinking down the road. And when you draft your Garrett Grayson's, you're probably lighting a pick on fire. Like you've got to do it like yeah. a real investment. Like if they were drafting Patrick Mahomes or something. Um, the last question I have for you, Drew Brees, I've always had a respect for his game. I mean, of course, he's one of the best quarterbacks ever. We know that. But the Minneapolis Miracle game, second half of that game is the best quarterbacking I've ever seen. Hands, yeah. hands down in person, the best quarterback play I've ever seen in my life. It was insanely loud. It was the number one defense. They're down 17 points. And he brings them back just I mean, make some of the best throws I've ever seen. There's a touchdown over Eric Hendricks to Elvin Kamara, which is just mind blowing. It's fourth down and long at midfield. I mean, this is the best third down and fourth down team in the NFL. And he completes a 20 yard pass. I think Willie Sneed of all people, not exactly Jerry Rice. And uh, so I was just wondering from you, like covering Drew Brees, if there's something you can sort of tell me about Drew Brees that someone who covers him would know as opposed to somebody like me who sees him on national TV and, uh, you know, once a year I get to see him. Man. Well, first that, that the Minnesota miracle game, I wrote three stories. I was working for a newspaper. So there was final whistle deadline. I wrote three stories. One was like, you know, at halftime I wrote a story. Ah, like they just completely dropped the ball. Team wasn't ready. And then like, I started writing, you know, Drew has this amazing half, at least the loss is respectable young team. They can grow from this. And then it just was just complete disarray. But yeah, that, that second half from him was, was, incredible and you know that was the second stanza maybe the third stanza of his career like it, that was the beginning of it when you know they they started to draw everything in and then in the playoffs like he showed he still had it and then 18 i think he had it for like half a year and then it kind of just went away i think he got hurt on the uh the thanksgiving game against uh was that atlanta atlanta and then they played dallas and and it was just you know downhill from there in 2018 for him and i don't think he ever was the same after that um as far as the stuff about Drew, the thing that stands out to me the most, I guess, when I think about him is just you could set your clock just to every single thing he did in practice. Just his stretching routine was the same exact thing every single day. He'd pick up his helmet at the same exact time. On his media day, he would walk through the locker room through the same door, the same strut at the same minute every single day. And it was just always clockwork. Everything just happened, you know, exactly as it did every single day. And nothing was ever really out of sorts with him. Um, and when it was like, it just, you always knew something was wrong. Like it, it near the end of 2018, like Drew's schedule started to get a little bit off and you just, you just kind of knew something was wrong with him. And, and I think going into the game against Philadelphia, if you watch, like they, they were very conservative, like down the stretch, they go into the playoffs, they're playing Philly. And I think they thought Breeze was healthy. Like the very first play of that game, he tries to go deep and gets picked off. Um, and, and you know, that was just, it was just always so easy to tell when something was amiss because he was just so exact. And I think that's the thing that made him good. And I think that set a tone for the whole team. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think taking him out the field as a player is something that they're going to miss, but just the example that he set in, in, you know, that routine, I think is something that probably a lot of people on the team fed off of, followed, learned from, and, and taking that out, I think is going to probably be even a more significant thing to, to replace just because I think his play has dissipated a little bit and, but that leadership is just the example is, was so big for this team. And I think that's kind of what, what really set a tone for them.
There's uh, something to it. And a, a player who played with Tom Brady told me this about Brady is when you show up at the building, you know, he owns it. Like, you know, he's in command. There's no question about who are the leaders on this team and who owns the locker room and who's the friend. Like, no, that's not a question. It's Tom Brady's it's Drew Brees's. for a long time. It was Ben Roethlisberger's that's probably faded a little bit, but those types of guys, Peyton Manning, the same thing, you know, who's in command, you know, who you're following and who's, who's right all the time. It's that guy. So that's interesting. I just, to me, it was the most impressive. And this even goes for the game that they lost in uh, 2019. I think if they win a coin flip, they probably win that game. They get down. Like you said, they're, New Orleans looked rattled early on and they found ways to get after Drew Brees, which was very rare, but the Vikings were able to do it with Mike Zimmer's scheme that day. And yet still at the end of the game, here they are in overtime because Drew Brees will not go away and he's making throws. It was like, there are some guys who just have this ability to never, ever, ever get rattled or get knocked down. And no matter what the score is, they're going to keep coming at you. And um, even though I, I can't phrase it a better way, but there are very few people who are like that, who like, you could look at the score and be like, I don't know, could still do it. Breeze is one of those guys. Yeah. Look, even this, this playoff game, he couldn't, it felt like he couldn't throw the ball at all against Tampa Bay. Yeah. And they were yep. still in that game until Jared Cook fumbled. Like, yep. and they might've won if he hadn't, which as bad as he played, like he had a chance to win that game. So yeah, he, he's definitely, he's definitely that guy. He definitely instills that confidence in everybody. And you know, th those are the things that I don't, you know, we talk about, you know, earlier, Hey, there's still going to be a good team. Like, I think there's just some intangible things that, that might not be being calculated all the way through. I still think they will be a solid team, but yeah, I mean, there, there's just that belief and you take that belief out of the huddle. Like, you know, what happens? Does Taysom lead them in those situations? I, I don't know. Like those, that's what they're going to have to find out. Yeah. It's probably not the same with Jameis Winston. I was going to throw that out yeah. there. Uh, he yes. does eat the W, <laughs> but, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that ever got anybody too excited. Uh, you can follow Nick, at Nick underscore under Hill and new Orleans dot football. And I know that a lot of Vikings fans don't want all the latest information on new Orleans saints, but you do tremendous, tremendous work. So I think they should follow you anyway, even if they sort of hate the team that you cover, but uh, you, you do awesome. Hey, we'll take them. And, and like I said, I mean, it's been super cool to see you do the same thing that I have done here with Purple Insider with New Orleans Football, and I congratulate you on your success, man. It's been really cool to see and uh, inspirational for for somebody like me. Yeah, likewise, man. See, seeing what you're doing has has been, you know, I take some ideas off of you, so um, I'm watching what you're doing. So yeah, definitely, it's it's been great. I hope this is the future. Hopefully, we're kind of laying a path for people here, and you know, it's just the support of the people, you know, like anybody listen, just throw, throw a couple bucks into it. Even if you just listen to the podcast, support my guy, help him do what he wants to do. Let him be here for you. And as long as we're independent, we can do things the way we want to do them. And, you know, if people like that vision, support it. Well, that's uh well said, well said. And I appreciate the kind words and uh, we'll do it again, man, for sure. We're, we're going to make people listen to New Orleans Saints talk now and then. So <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> Since you're a great guest, we'll do it again soon, man. All right. I appreciate it, man. Hey, I want to tell you about our very cool new sponsor, Symbol. Symbol is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. Go to symbol.app. That is S-I-M-B-U-L-L. -L, 
purplepurple.app to sign up for the promo code PURPLE to get a $10 deposit bonus if you are a first-time user and you are off and rolling. Here's how it works. You buy stock in your teams, and then when your team wins, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So, baseball season is starting. You can buy into your favorite team today, and as their stock rises throughout the year, it pays off for you. Or get in before free agency in the draft changes football for next season. Another thing that Symbol does is sends you updates all the time on what's trending to keep you up to the latest market movement. So, check out Symbol.app or follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the Marketplace for Sports today. Folks, March is quite the month for Minnesota sports, and Soda Stick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. The hockey team is headed down the stretch, so you've got to check out the Dollar Bill Krill shirts, and baseball is ready to get started. Go to SodaStick.com, check out the Touch 'Em All shirts, the Twinkies hats, and the Tomorrow Night hoodies. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. So go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, all of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports inspired goods, code Purple Insider for free shipping. I made a promise on some episodes earlier last week, and I want to fulfill that promise that if you leave a review on Apple I will go in there and I will read your question and I will answer your question. And I want to do that now. So if you've had trouble finding out where to leave the comments, I'm sorry, I realize it's a little bit convoluted. You have to, if you're using the app, search Purple Insider and then click it and then go down to leave a review. If you're just using it where it pops up, um, I struggled myself to find where the comments were. So that's what you have to do. Type in to the little search thing. Purple Insider. Go leave a comment there and a five-star review, and I will read your question, and I will answer your question. First, let me say thank you to people who left five-star reviews and didn't necessarily leave questions, but Brent and Marty Football left them recently. Really nice stuff, guys. I appreciate that so much. Appreciate you listening. And Brent, I'm glad that I have helped you become a more enthusiastic Vikings fan. Sometimes I think I make people more of a sad Vikings fan, but I'm glad to hear that. Um, So I got a question here from N Metro Man, who says, what about drafting to rebuild the defense for a couple years tanking through the end of Cousins' contract and then drafting your next star quarterback to play on a rookie contract just as the defense matures? Great question. So tanking is not really going to be a thing that they can do as long as Justin Jefferson and Delvin Cook and Adam Thielen and Irv Smith are all good at football. Seven and nine is probably the worst it's ever going to be with that collection. As long as you have a quarterback whose worst record is seven and nine and always has the capability of getting you to the playoffs. He's been to two pro bowls. The floor for Kirk Cousins is having a good season, especially when he has those weapons around him. So you can't really tank. But I agree with your overall sentiment that one thing they can do here is form the foundation with all the draft picks that they had last year and this year. I know we focused a lot on not having a second round pick, but they have a ton of draft capital this year in the third round, fourth round, fifth round. 
And so you build that up. It's not a bad idea to build up the defense. Everyone knows here that I'm on the train of wide receiver three and lean into the Kirk and all those things. You signed him for all that money. You might as well try to do everything you can. But an alternate approach that does make sense is trying to build up the roster to be as strong as it can be for when Kirk is done with his contract and then put another quarterback in there that doesn't cost much and fill in the pieces with free agent money and hope that you can find that golden ticket of a rookie quarterback on a good contract. And I think that, you know, Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, these guys are good examples of quarterbacks who are not better than Kirk Cousins, but have been put recently on teams that are very, very good and talented when they're on rookie deals and they get a lot out of them. Baker Mayfield's sophomore season was ruined by Freddie Kitchens, but Kevin Stefanski got his hands on him with a great offensive line, with some weapons, with a lot of free agency players that they brought in on defense, and they were able to have a really good season. And you saw it with Carson Wentz. They built up their offensive line. They built up their defense in 2017, and he's playing like an MVP. So your argument for building up the supporting cast to eventually hand it off to someone else. I think if you're not a believer in Kirk Cousins, that this plan makes a lot of sense. And even if you are a believer in Kirk Cousins, you have to live in the reality that his contract is up in 2022. And he might just tell you, sorry, guys, I don't want to sign an extension here. I want you to trade me somewhere else so I can eventually hit free agency. They have to be aware that that is a realistic possibility. And No matter what direction this team decides to take, whether it's buying in completely to Mike Zimmer and all in on getting a number one defense someday again, or if they were to move on from Mike Zimmer and become an offensive team, you've got to be better than one of the worst pass rushing teams and one of the worst coverage teams in the entire NFL. And even your star players on defense are not super young like Harrison Smith Eric Hendricks is still in his prime, but that's not going to last forever. We'll see how long Daniil Hunter and Anthony Barr are even here. So they have to start restocking the cupboard and they have to do it through the draft. I wouldn't be surprised this year if the majority of those picks end up going to the defensive side, the vast, vast majority. So great question. There's one from Tony here who says um, that he wants to know, Uh, can you talk about some of the most often used stats in the analytics world and explain what they are and why they matter and stick to offensive line and quarterbacks since that seems to be a recurring theme with the Minnesota Vikings? Well, let me get to the offensive line and, and quarterbacks a little bit later in another question that was also asked on the Apple reviews. Um, But let me talk about some of the big picture statistics that you hear a lot and I'm not sure are often explained. So um, first of all, I want to say that all stats need to have context, bigger picture statistics. You should always be asking, well, what is this telling me? Like, what does it really mean? So uh, an example of this is DVOA, which Tony mentioned and war. Let's, let's talk about DVOA. That's a football outsider stat that you'll see media people use a lot. Um, the best way that I could put it is that it factors in your quality of competition to how you perform 
with yardage. So if you get 500 yards against the Bears and 500 yards against the Lions, those two things are going to be treated differently because it's trying to contextualize that the Lions are a horrible defense and the Bears are a good defense. So if you perform really well against a good defense, you deserve more credit than if you perform really well against a bad defense. And it's the same way if you perform poorly against a good defense, you're going to get dinged less. So that's what DVOA tries to do. And, you know, the shortcoming of that is that it can change pretty quickly. So halfway through the season, the Vikings defense was mid-pack in DVOA because they gave up a lot of yards to Tennessee and Seattle and Green Bay, and those were great offenses. And so they weren't dinged as much. But if you were watching them, you knew it was a house of cards that was one injury away from being a really bad defense. And then they gave up 52 against New Orleans and they did not finish super great in DVOA. So it's kind of like this is something that is supposed to tell you about trends. It's supposed to tell you about regression and where something might be headed. Um, but you always have to figure like, well, what's coming up? What might happen that could change this number? And what does it mean for us? Say Now, I wouldn't use this in the Vikings context, but let's say that the Vikings were 29th. Oh, I'll, I'll give you an example here. Tampa Bay in 2019 was something like 27th in points allowed because Jameis Winston kept giving up interceptions for pick sixes, but their DVOA was, I believe, like top 10. And that pointed to this defense can be good if your quarterback stops throwing pick sixes. And that came to fruition in Tampa Bay with mostly the same group was really good. I'll give you another big picture statistic that I like to look at, and that's expected points added. So what this one does is it takes performance on each play versus expectation, which I know sounds a little like get my brain together here. Uh, but all it is, is you're expected to get X number closer to scoring on in every situation. So let's say it's first and 10 from the 20 and you get a first down. Okay. That got you closer to scoring by more than expected. If you get sacked, that's negative. That's taking you farther away from scoring. And what we find is that the top five passing teams that are overachieving, so the farthest above expectation, those are the teams that win the Super Bowl. Those are the teams that get to the championship games. The top four teams this year in passing EPA were in the championship weekend. And I think what that number also does is it helps demonstrate a little bit like how certain teams pass to get ahead, even if they're known as more of running teams. So I'll give you an example. The Seahawks were known as a running team in 2013, but they were fourth in EPA and passing, even though they had the seventh fewest yards. So it works to contextualize how successful you really are in the passing game. And the same thing for the 49ers in 2019, people were talking about how they were a running team and it, that wasn't really the case. They were a top five in EPA passing. So they were getting ahead with the pass running when they were winning. Um, the biggest thing that I would say for all broad statistics, and I know this doesn't apply directly to offensive line and quarterback, but I can get to some of those. The biggest thing with broad statistics is you want to ask what you're trying to learn. And what EPA, what I like about expected points is it will kind of give you an exact number of how far away you are from the teams that are the best. So the Vikings were 10th in passing EPA, which is good, but they were 130 points passing behind the Bucks, which is a lot. I mean, that's nearly double what their number was for EPA. So you need to be a lot better through the past to play with the top four. And the top four, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Buffalo, and Kansas City, 
those teams were way above everybody else. It wasn't even really close. So all of that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg on big picture statistics. But I think you should always ask, no matter what, is what are we trying to learn? So if it's wins above replacement, you're trying to compare players, or it's a PFF grade, or if it's pressures allowed, you're always trying to say, well, what what am I supposed to be taking away from this? A PFF grade on a quarterback might tell you how well that quarterback threw the ball when they threw the ball. It doesn't tell you about their sacks a lot of times. Uh, It doesn't tell you about, you know, did they scramble successfully? I mean, sometimes that's baked into it with their running grade, but I mean, there are things that it doesn't tell you, their situation, their offensive line talent, all that. So you have to dig deeper and you have to look to, okay, what was the situation they were playing in? What was the scheme? What led to the number as opposed to here's what the number means. And so sometimes you'll get, you know, hey, look, our DVA was this. So we're actually better than our record. No, no one's better than the record. Your record is what it is. Um, they don't let you in the playoffs for having a good EPA or DVOA. Um, but what it can tell you is kind of how far away you might be, what you know, your schedule factors into this, you know, the um, good or bad luck, you know, all those types of things. Um, so, Tony, that's a really great question. And there's, I mean, so many different ways that you can interpret a bunch of different stats. But that's the way I look at them is you try to figure out from a statistic, how it's put together and what it's supposed to tell us. Um, here's another one. This comes from Skull90 um, on the Apple reviews. Um, who has a very different opinion from Pro Football Focus that you like to follow and listen to and what makes their opinions different and why do you like them? That's a great question. So here's what I think. Um, one thing that PFF actually has started doing and we've done on this show for a long time is bringing former players in on the show to give their perspectives on certain findings. Um, so Richard Sherman, for example, does a show with Chris Collinsworth on PFF. Uh, they had a great interview with former cornerback Darius Butler on there. We have Sage Rosenfels. We have Jeremiah Searles come on this show And I don't think it's like, I don't ever look at differing opinions in football from statistical sides or former player sides as some sort of political type show where it's like this side believes you need to watch the game and this side believes stats are real. I think we've moved past that by probably about 15 years. It's more like different perspectives that certain people can bring that go beyond what statistical analysts for PFF could tell you, for example. I mean, Richard Sherman said that he thinks that good coverage comes from pressure. And I also think, I agree with him, that they're connected, that pressure and good coverage are connected, but also good coverage and pressure are connected. And so figuring out which one you need more to succeed, but it doesn't tell you just because of the results how you get there exactly. And that's where I think someone like Sage Rosenfels or Jeremiah Searles, I like to tell those guys about numbers and then they tell me why it's happening. So if I tell Jeremiah, hey, the left guard is giving up a lot of pressures, he can say whether that is something technical, whether that is scheme, whether it's, you know, just bad matchups or whatever. The same with Sage. I remember telling Sage that PFF found that quarterbacks are responsible for their pressure rates and I wanted his opinion and he said, yes, the system and the quarterback, they control pressure just as much as the offensive line because you're the guy who has to get rid of the ball. Now he's done it. He's been pressured in the NFL before and he can tell me 
you know, just how much that is true or if he feels like that might not be true. So I think that the best way to go about any of this is to combine people who have actually been there, who have drawn up schemes, who have executed schemes, who have been in meetings upon meetings upon meetings and played hundreds of plays in the NFL to know what is actually going on out there. That is an experience that 1% of the population has, or, or probably much less. And, um, compare that with what the statistical people are finding and see if we can get as close as possible to the truth. And, you know, from a reporter's perspective, I try to gather all of it and contextualize statistics. So if Xavier Rhodes has poor coverage grades, then I'm going to want to say, well, why was that, that he had great grades the next year? And we can put together different things, like maybe he was injured and it kind of seemed that way. And here's some comments that you may have pointed to that. And here's how the statistics might be small sample size, or it might be schemed if somebody who is, uh, you know, knows cornerback play watches it and breaks it down. So we try to use everything to learn. So I don't want to say that there's anyone specifically that is just like anti PFF and anti stats who I like to listen to. It's more of different perspectives. And I think that those are always worthwhile. The other thing too, is there's great interviewers, there's great storytellers, and you can learn all sorts of things from those too. So I try to grab a little bit from every type of basket and put it all together. But I think that that is a great question about, yes, we sort of say these are certainties because they're statistically proven, but Let's try to figure out more about those, um, you know, and, and I, I think that's one of the things that makes sports great. So those are two very good questions. If you want yours answered on the show, put a five-star review on Apple, leave your question, and I will answer it. Quick thing to add before we wrap up is just that I've been doing draft sims after dark on the locker room app. Usually I tweet it out at Matthew Collar for where you can find it. But if you have the locker room app and you go follow me on there, then you could find that Thursday nights and Saturday nights. I'm going to be doing draft sims entirely leading up to the draft and also posting the audio on this feed as well from time to time. Uh, when I don't mess up the draft sim. So make sure you're looking out for that. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of purple insider.